Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You are listening to Inside F1 with Joe Saywood on Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Inside F1 with Joe Saywood on Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by the F1 2018 game. When you're done listening to Joe, check out our recent Tech Time shows and our latest episode with former F1 Lotus boss Matthew Carter. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and this week I'm joined by Paddock Jewel, Iron Joe Sayward. How's it going, Joe? Yeah, it's very good. I had a holiday. So, well, I, before I went to Spa, I had a holiday. Then I came back to Spa and started working again. So, yeah, back to normal. Yeah, I mean, it's been ages since you've been here. You you literally disappear off the grid when you're like, I'm off on holiday. That's it, like internet embargo. And if I know you, and I think I do, you were following Lewis around, cutting some tracks and hanging out with Pharrell. No, that's no? absolutely not what I was doing, oh. nor was I fishing, although it said so on the blog. I disappeared to the southwest of France where there was no phone signal and very, very limited. In, well, actually, there was no internet and very limited phone signal. Um, so basically I disappeared off the face of the earth. I did occasionally have a look and see if anything was happening and there were various things happening and I thought, oh, well, never mind, I'll deal with them later. So do you have the ability to just put that down? Because I have the someone on the internet is wrong syndrome, so I find it very hard to put it down, especially when I know it's a subject I'm going to be really emotional about. Well, it has to be like that, otherwise I wouldn't get any uh, rest ever. And my son was over from the United States for two weeks, so I just basically shut everything down and spent my time with him. Yeah, but your son is not far off my age, and if you've spread the F1 bug onto him, surely he sat there with his phone going, you'll never believe it. You'll never believe this, Dad. No, no, he's not a Formula One fan, and uh, he was somewhat in, in shock from being... Uh, taken away from all matters social so um i would be but he did climb some trees as a result of that as did i i I did one of those i I can't remember what you call in england is something to do with apes i think go ape go go ape yes and i did discover that in my mind i may be 22 but my body is slightly older and uh i have to say that i haven't been as knackered for a long time yeah, well, I can relate to that because my boy's uh, sh- trying to show me his parkour moves. And it turns out an eight-year-old is a lot more supple than a 37-year-old. Yeah, that's possibly true, yes. Well, I've got to tell you that climbing trees is not a good thing for a 50-something-year-old. Well, you need to have some protection, Joe. Perhaps you could have surrounded yourself with a carbon fibre frame. Yeah, it probably would have made the climbing a bit more complicated. There were enough blooming health and safety ropes already. So I nearly strangled on the health and safety ropes, actually, which is really a bad idea. It's political correctness gone mad, is what it is, Joe. But obviously, I'm trying to segue into the Halo. Now, uh, remind me, Joe, how did you feel about the Halo when they were building up to it and when they introduced it? And how do you feel about it now that we've seen um, a, a tyre kind of hit pretty hard into the Halo structure? Um. Well, there are two things. One is it's still ugly. Whether, it is. Whether it saves lives or not, it's still ugly. And um, 
Yes, it's a good thing. I I don't know. I haven't actually gone into the details of whether or not you can claim it saved lives or whatever, but it certainly looked as though it deflected um, some of the flying Alonso away from Leclerc. You can't say whether it would have definitely hit him or not, but you know the fact is that I suppose one has to say it's a good thing, although because one's not allowed to have the non-health and safety political correct view that racing should be dangerous. So... Um, you know, you, you kind of, um, if you accept that racing is, has to be safe, then the halo is a logical conclusion from that. Um, I'm interested, I'm interested in that opinion because I know there's, there's people who love the glamour and the danger of it and feel that that danger element makes it special in some way. I, I'm personally not of that opinion. But, and you can be on PC and unhealth and safety here. Let, let's just accept that opinion. Let's accept that. For some people, the danger element makes it more enjoyable, makes it more special. It's uh, human, na- it's yeah, human nature. But at, but at what point would you have stopped that safety? Because, I mean, um, Sean I don't Kelly. Know the answer to that. Sean Kelly my... posted a picture of the Sauber, in, the first Sauber car, and it's really stark. Like, you can still see the guy's shoulder and everything really yeah. exposed. Yeah. So it's interesting. If you feel that way, where would you have stopped it? I don't know the answer yeah. to that because it's not something I've had to have a an impact on. All I know is that. Uh, part of the value of the sport is it's a bit like chariot racing. You know, <laughs> if you have a roll cage on a chariot and safety belts, you know, Ben Hur wouldn't have been quite the same, would it? And no, that's true. Th- th- there is an element of which there have to be heroes to make it valuable. And also, to be honest, you know, why on earth are these guys being paid all this money if they're not taking risks? I mean, okay, maybe they are. They are walking billboards. But um, you know, if you start to suggest to drivers that actually, well, you know, you're not worth that money because you're um you're not actually taking any risks anymore they might have a different view on it so it's a bit like virtual racing you know um if if the normal racing drivers are paid that much why aren't the virtual racers paid that much they're just as skilled in that respect aren't they but there's no uh, testicular action going on in the future there may well be racing series where you have someone in a sim with like haptic uh, butt plates so you can feel the simulated road but then put a real car responding to those units so like a, a remote control race car yeah but the only way he's going to hurt himself if he falls out of his chair isn't he yeah, yeah so but it, i mean it, i'm sorry but simulated racing unfortunately will never or should never in my book earn the same money as real racing because they're taking no risks now if we have a situation where there is no risk in formula one I, well i think that the e um the e folks are going to be um Paid the same as the normal ones. I have to stop this before it goes bing again for a second time. So well, we're very we lucky if you've brought in the machine that goes ping. Ah, there's only a certain demographic will get that joke. Uh, it just went off of its own accord for no reason. You're a very popular man. That's why it went off. It's, that was um, my wife actually asking me to buy something at the shop from about three hours ago. But I don't know what that's all about. There you go. So um, I don't think that the Halo saved... Uh, Leclerc's life on this occasion and I'm I'm pro Halo I'd be pro a, a less ugly version of the Halo why you've got to have that the stick right in the middle is beyond me but on this occasion the car landed clear of him I think the thing that caused all the damage on the Halo fairing was actually the tyre swinging back so it was a secondary hit I I would imagine that a tyre hitting you in the face without the Halo but with your helmet on and going back into the structure the helmet's probably going to do its job there no, you can't even say that because, no. you know, these things depend on all kinds of different things, the violence of the hit, the angle of the hit and all the rest of it. Um, and if you remember, Henry Surtees was killed by a tyre hitting him on the head and it was a, it was a, it didn't look like uh, it was any particular uh, violent blow. It was a glancing blow. Um, so, but, you know, you can't tell and we need to leave it to the scientists who can model the whole thing and say, yes, it would have hit him. No, it wouldn't. We don't know. I've looked at the pictures. I've got an entire sequence and I can't see exactly where that happened. I've watched the film, not to any great extent, but I have watched the film uh, and it's very hard to say. But having said that, you know, we have to be happy that, that the driver didn't get hurt. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, in the course of august we had uh, robert wickens getting badly hurt oh in, yes. in, in indie cars um very lucky to be alive i think but one has to then if we're going to take this health and safety to it the extreme that people want we have to say well what can you do about that because you know he was launched into into the fence over the wall 
um, and uh, you know, sort of went down the the fence, uh, wrapped around a pole, and just made a big mess of it all. So, I mean, this argument isn't going to go anywhere, is it? Because there's going to be further steps towards safety. It's it's hard to unfry the egg, isn't it? So it's only going to go one way. Yeah, the the question is very simple, and that is where. If there is a line to draw, where do you draw the line? And it's the same argument, really, as to who is uh, who is braver, uh, a fighter pilot in a Sopwith Camel, a Spitfire, or in a modern jet. You know, they have different skills, um, but they are all doing one thing, which is, in their case, they're going dogfighting, and in, in racing terms, they're going uh, racing. So, you know, what is... What is deemed to be um, exciting and what is deemed to be dangerous? I don't know the answers to this, and thankfully, I don't need to know the answers to this. But I, I do feel that there is a sense of which, um, you know, if it's too safe, it, it loses some of its appeal, and I don't think it's right that it should do that. Fair enough. It's a it's a very common opinion, um, so I have got some sympathy and respect for that. But let's talk about some some political stuff, Joe. That's why we get you on here because we know that you're in and out of all the motorhomes, tasting all their delightful culinary snacks. And uh, did you did you help them this week? Did you help them scrape off the liveries from the Force India motorhomes? No, 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 no. I, I wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have scraped off the VJ Malia stickers. I would have used a flamethrower. <laughs> um, I actually spent some time in the in the Force India mode home, which wasn't usually the case. But once the ownership changed, I felt that it was uh, perfectly acceptable for me to go there anymore because I actually kind of don't dislike the people there. Um, I just didn't get on very well with the main man. And, he, you know, at the end of the day, I was merely reporting on what he was up to. And I think my reports have proved to be correct. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in this mess, would he? So actually, that's a great place to start because Force India, for years now, we've been talking about how they do so well for so little. So pound for pound, monetary pound as well. They outperform everyone. So wh- why did that model finally break down? How come they, they couldn't sustain it any longer? Oh, because the owner owed far too much money, uh, wasn't allowed to leave Britain because he'd skipped out of India, didn't have a passport, um, all kinds of different reasons. Um, owes $1.3 billion to Indian banks. Uh, so fundamentally, it became, it, 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 the team nearly fell victim to its owner or owners because the other owner is not much better. But um, now they're gone. They're out of the picture. We got some people in. It took a bit of um, interesting um juggling of regulations and contracts to get there and it was all very counterintuitive because normally you know the chief the chief asset of any racing team is its entry in this case the entry was its chief liability and so they needed to get rid of the entry as was to avoid any interference from banks and all the rest of it not to mention a debt of 208 million dollars that the holding company was claiming the team owed it. In other words, VJ Malia wanted some money put into a Luxembourg company, um, which is the holding company. And all of that didn't happen when they bought the assets and dumped the entry. Now, to do that normally wouldn't have been possible, but uh, because you have to start from scratch. But uh, after much discussion and jiggling of things, it happened, which is a triumph of common sense. Now, not everybody liked it not everyone agreed with it but nobody stood up and said we're going to block this um and the only people who did try to cause trouble i believe williams complained a bit and got got a payment to go away i think and um the uh the house team who obviously started from scratch three years ago felt somewhat aggrieved that that uh, force india could start overnight earning money for next year um in both what you took, what you call the, the the columns of the prize money? They will get money from both columns this they year immediately. Will. Right, they will. Yes, and not surprisingly, Haas wasn't very happy about this. But as as I understand it, the Formula One group said, "Well, each of our deals with the teams is a bilateral agreement. It is they're all different to one another, and it's different in your case, Haas, because Force India is not a new team. It's been around Formula One for twenty five years and deserves to be treated with respect." 
And Ooh. that is the justification for it. The House people weren't happy about it, but there's no argument against it. I can sympathise a little bit with the Haas, but I might have to clarify for those that are hard of thinking, such as myself. So it went into administration. They seem to have got all the benefits of just buying the assets of a team that's liquidating. Yeah, yeah. they've also got all the benefits of buying an existing going concern. I mean, that is that that is a lot of goodwill going towards yeah. the new owners. Yes, it is. But then again, Formula One can't afford to lose another team. And that's part of it. So, and that's some of the teams felt a little pressurized um, because, you know, if we try to stop this, we're the bad guy. Well, that's true. You are the bad guy if your actions are going to shut down a team. So, I mean, it's, it's the first time I can remember where everyone has, to a lesser or greater extent, even if they had to be forced to do it, uh, in some cases, work together for the good of the sport. And that must be must be a good thing. The problem is that the mentality still exists from the Bernie era. A lot of the team principals live in this era of Bernie Eccleston. You always you know, everything was conflict, and what they don't understand. And, and and some of them were complaining to me. They said Chase Carey doesn't know about you know the the the, the rules. He doesn't understand the Concord Agreement, but he doesn't need to. So what is Chase a little bit above all that then? Well, no, he's he's put in a whole structure of people who are experts in their different fields. And that is, you know, when he's got a problem, he, he, he says to them, now, how do you fix this? He has created what you'd call a normal kind of um, corporate structure as opposed to Bernie, which was all about micromanaging every single uh, thing. Uh, yes. So Bernie knew everything because he was involved in everything, but he didn't need to. You know, uh, what, what Chase did is just pass it on to the legal people, say, sort this out. And if the teams came to talk to him about it, he went, I don't really get it. Ask my legal people, which is interesting because, you know, it's the first time we've seen that that sort of level of management. And obviously the old generation, the old guard, think this means that, that, that Formula One group is not in, in touch. But that's actually not what it means. It means they're working in a different way. And so I see this as an interesting move uh, to change attitudes in Formula One. And I hope that it goes on in this way towards the, the budget cap. Ah, now, I'll come on to that in a second. I just want to get across a question in the chat room from Lance Lassen. Didn't all the other teams also make money because Force India have lost all their points up to this point? Uh, I guess what he's saying is effectively, apart from Williams, every team will have made a bump up the table. Well, up to a point that may be true, except that Force India had a lot of money up front. Uh, They got money in advances to keep them alive. I don't know how far those advances went and I don't know how much of it has to be paid back, if any. But um I doubt they'll get very much. You know, if you if you take whatever they they got and you divide it by nine, um and presumably also some of the others got their shares too, I would think Farm would take a share and the FIA would probably take a share too. So you probably have to divide by eleven um, and if, you know, if it was 33 million, that's only 3 million each, which is not much really, you know. Yeah, not on the scale of things. Um, Don Byrne is asking in the chat room there as well, uh, how much of the old guard is actually left? Did Liberty come in and just, you know, sweep out the management completely? Well, it's not so much the old, well, I mean, within the Formula One group. Yeah. There's a, there's, there's a few left, um, but usually in specialist corners. So the chief legal officer and the chief financial officer are the same people as before. Um, but a lot of other people have changed jobs. A lot of other people have gotten new jobs. And there's a pile of new people. I mean, there are so many new people, I don't know them all yet at all. I mean, there are some, actually, I have no idea what half of them do. But there you are, you know. Uh, Bernie Eccleston was very much a one-man a one man band. You know, you know, in the old days when those blokes would arrive with the cymbals on their head and the, and the drums and the bagpipes and all the rest of it, that was Bernie doing all these things at the same time. Well, oh, you don't need one. to do that. The one man bands. Yeah, so you really are sensing then a change of philosophy because cost cap, uh, we've been talking about cost caps since I've been following Formula One. With Chase Carey in, um, you wrote something in your most recent notebook about the, the the teams or running the teams becoming profitable rather than just a way for backers to sink money in for the privilege of being involved in F1. Yeah, absolutely. If you, If you have a budget cap, and you have the money that's coming in at the moment, teams will make profits. If teams make profits, they have a value. You multiply the profit per year by 10, maybe more, and the team is suddenly worth a lot of money. So 
you know, there's reason that investors are coming in at this particular moment. That's hanging on for this budget cap. If we get that, it will be like um, a lot of sports franchises where suddenly it's very valuable. So imminent? Don't know. <laughs> I mean, it could be. It may not be. It may be. Who knows? The thing has been skewed a little bit also by the fact that Sergio Marchionne died, and that meant that Ferrari's position has has sort of gone back to zero because we don't really know. Apparently, Marchionne and and Chase and Co were getting on pretty well and walking towards getting a solution, and suddenly there's a new guy in who is a tobacco salesman, and nobody really. Uh, you know, knows where, where he's coming from. Nobody seems to have had much contact with him. Um, and, you know, I think that's changed a lot of stuff, but we need to see exactly what it changes. The one thing he has done so far was he had a, a investors, not an investor, he had a, an analyst's chat, and he said that the targets for the company for 2022 were, were not necessarily very realistic, and the share price dropped 10% because he opened his gob. So, you know... Um, Yes, you know there are things there are things that possibly you don't want to do in your first few weeks in charge of Ferrari, and knocking ten percent off the value of the company is one of them. So, um, chat room saying that Braun was quoted in Autosport about a soft cost cap from twenty nineteen. Well, the, what is soft? What is hard? I mean, the fact is, they might just sort of have. I mean, right now the cost cap only really reflects on three or four teams because the others are yeah. not making that much anyway. So. Um, if you, what is a soft cap? What is a hard cap? Uh, a soft cap just basically means, yeah, we advise that this is what might be a good idea to do that. And then we'll go hard in, in 2021. You know, if, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. The fact is it just needs to happen. I think a soft version of an agreement is keeping things pretty much as they were because that makes complete sense. And a hard version is just wildly going into the future recklessly without agreeing anything in advance. If TV Where has have I heard anything, that before? <laughs> let's go back to Force India. Um, when you walked in, you put your blowtorch to one side, the atmosphere significantly different, um, but no Bob Fernley. I was sad about Bob, and I actually sent him a message um, when I heard the news, and I said, Bob, it's been a pleasure dealing with you. Um, you were always very straight with me, and, and I shall miss having those dealings and and he sent me a very nice reply saying see you in singapore because he's going to be back again visiting but ah. um yeah no it's a shame he was a good guy a racer a racer to the core and uh so you know but we've got otmar in charge of it now and he's yes. pretty much similar in in fashion and um you know i've God, i've known Otmar for for years and years and years and you know he's a good man and he runs a good team and uh you know i think that these things happen often when when uh, owners change, the team atmospheres change as well. Uh, for the better, do you think? Because uh, obviously we're now talking about the new owners, the Stroll Consortium. Well, the Stroll Consortium, I think, really boils down to Lawrence Stroll and a bunch of people who are putting money in behind him. Now, has he just bought it as an investment in a private equity sense? Or you know, perhaps he's, he's made his money over time by... Um, building up fashion labels maybe he can see this as a free way of building up another fashion label i don't know you know he's done michael cause and he's done tommy hill figure so you know maybe he's got plans to do another one and it'll cost him appreciably less because he owns a formula one team which he can then sort of paint the name on the side of you know racing so, point fashion well i was going to say like goat racing uh, which i believe goat to be some sort of fashion thing i googled fashion brands i got goat which i was rather surprised by so said, something to do me. with dresses i think i thought i'll have to ask my eight-year-old uh, i think of goat as greatest of all time uh, so maybe that's maybe that's the clever i, I think play of on goat words. is a four-legged thing that's rather smelly and eats everything goat racing is probably a really bad name for a racing team because you sort of think about smelly old animals sort of rushing down a track yeah well that's true i mean doesn't that describe most motorsport <laughs> okay uh so argument yeah. so the the question on everyone's lips was was uh lance stroll going to move up the grid in um in belgium and imagine that that lecum entry might have gone a little bit differently with stroll instead of ocon uh but is there going to be a stroll driving a racing point force india in monza no no but that not, be- in Mon- not in Monza, I wouldn't have thought. They're still trying to sort it all out as to who goes where. And there's a serious problem in as much as Esteban Ocon has nowhere to go. And Esteban Ocon is a much um, 
admired Mercedes driver in whom they have invested a lot, and they're not going to just let him go. So um, they have to find a solution that keeps Ocon in a competitive or at least in a car. Um, and there are lots of things against that. Uh, one of which is that he was talking, he actually had a seat fitting at McLaren in the summer. Um, when it became clear that things were not going well at, at Force India, he actually went to McLaren, had a seat fitting to figure out whether his lengthy torso would get in the car. Um, and, and apparently it was a big squeeze. He's, but a, he's a tall unit. He is, a, he is very tall. And uh, they then um, came close to having a deal. And at the same time, Renault came along and were offering him a deal. So he had, he had these two deals trying to figure out what to do. Um, and I think McLaren sensed that he was going to go to Renault, signed science instead. And then out of the blue to everybody, including Renault, I think, Ricardo suddenly arrived on the doorstep, said, I'm having this drive, to which Renault couldn't say no. But that meant that they'd actually sort of, unfortunately, they'd screwed Ocon. So, which is which is most upsetting, really, if you think about it, because, you know, French is French company screws French big hope, you know. They didn't do it on purpose. It's just the way the cards fell. Now, the answer now is how the hell do we find a place for Ocon to go if Stroll moves across? But there's another side to it, which is Mercedes can say, okay, well, Ocon's not leaving. He's going to stay all season in Force India. If they do that, there is a problem because... Williams, which is another Mercedes team, is going to get a massive payoff from Stroll, the family, to allow Lance to get out of the deal. Yeah. That money will keep them in business next year, which is, without the money, ah. it's going to be a problem. Ah, hold on. Something's and in clicked. addition to that, in addition to that, having that money means that they are um, able to choose their drivers. And if they're able to choose their drivers, they are going to choose George Russell, who is a Mercedes driver, which Mercedes also wants to have placed. Otherwise, there'll be two Russians with loads of money. Yeah. So um, in, so to help one driver, they'll screw another driver if you're Mercedes. It's a difficult situation. The, the latest ver version of the rumor is that Perez, who very craftily and smartly signed a renewal with Force India before he took them under, um, <laughs> could end up. Well, he, I don't know if he, it's up to him whether he wants to go, I would think. But somebody is offering to sort of take him off to McLaren to, to oomph the McLaren challenge because, to be honest, science has got a lot more to prove and it's a bit early for Lando Norris. So, you know, they have to find a solution. Now, one solution would be to put Perez back in the team he was in before and that makes a space for Stroll to walk in alongside Ocon. So that would solve the problem. Now, that would involve a fair amount of Mercedes money being whizzed around to and make things Are happen. you talking this season or next season? Uh, that could happen any time. And the answer is, if all, the, if, all the, if all the ducks are in a row, it might as well happen now. Yes. Because you might as well get them on, with their feet under the table, learning how to do it um, with a new team before the new season begins. Now, you know, there's lots of other possible combinations which we've heard and most of them have been explored it's a bit, it's a bit like Raikkonen and Leclerc and Ferrari there's there's a hundred different versions of you know who might go where and what um, but basically we're beginning to get towards the end of the silly season unless deals that have already been struck get broken which is always possible this is the silly season that's why it's silly it's been an amazing silly season especially from a content point of view uh, Stuart Akari in the chat room uh, observes and asks, how good do we think Ocon actually is? He looks great in F3, and while Perez is a decent driver, I would have expected Ocon to put him away by now. So, Joe, my opinion is Perez is more than a decent driver, and that Ocon as a rookie has, has done a great job keeping up with Perez. I agree with that. I think Perez is a very good driver. Uh, Perez, when he was first at McLaren, was younger and not ready for it. Yep. And so he didn't look good. But since then, he's he's been a match for pretty much everybody. Um, now, he may be in one of those unfortunate situations where he becomes a Hulkenberg and becomes a sort of um, uh, the measure by which others are judged, which is not necessarily fair for him. But, you know, he is already, his generation is sort of, they're not passing quite yet, but they're getting to senior level. So his chance of going to a big team is quite slim. How old is Sergio Perez? I'm Googling that now because it's going to make me feel really old if Sergio's still in his 20s and uh, he's, not he's, still he's in being his considered 20s. old. 
Let's have a look. No, no, he's, he's he into his 30s. No, he's 28. He was born in 1990. What? I know, that is a kid. I hate that. That makes, that makes me feel ancient. Okay. Oh, in that case, yeah. in that case, he's, he's, uh, he's young enough to get another chance, I suppose. The only thing is that, of course, everything's moving south in terms of the numbers because Lecaire yes. is 12. You know, Max Verstappen <laughs> is now 14. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, these, these youngsters are, Getting younger. I know, like policemen, they get younger. But, I know. You know. But, but if you look at Lando Norris. Well, that's really funny because I yeah. thought, oh, Lando Norris is only 11. But, you know, um, and there's a bloke in GP3, actually, who, who won a race at the weekend who's definitely six. Um, you know, it, You've it's, never sounded older, and neither have I right now. But no, yeah, no, 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 that's yeah. true. But um, that's really interesting because actually I thought Perez was older than that. So, um, yeah, I, I will see how it goes, you know, but, but, um, there's, it's all to do with money and power, really. At the end of the day, it's always the same thing. But there are certain combinations that won't happen. And and Norris at Toro Rosso is probably one of those. I think that Toro Rosso will probably go back to the original intention of hiring youngsters because they've only ever hired youngsters apart from, I think, on one occasion when they hired Sebastian Bourdais, which was a really bad idea. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I mean, Toro Rosso, yeah, they're in the right pickle. Um, we're probably, yeah, I think it's a good time to to move away from Force India at the moment. Um, I still find it interesting with Force India, the prospect of them putting Lance Stroll in next to one of those two drivers. They've got to be scared, haven't they, about the direct comparison, you know, on qualifying on lap times. I don't, I don't think if, if, you're, if you're going to do something like that, I don't think you're considering things like that. Uh, I, I think that moving Lance Stroll into Force India is actually a very bad thing for Lance Stroll because it basically, you know, couldn't make it at Williams, so Daddy's bought him a race team. That is what people will say. Ooh. And whether he likes it or not, you know, he, it just it reflects badly on him. So actually keeping yeah. him out of Force India, to me, makes more sense. The, the chat room have been saying, like, he'll be the guy that potentially has booted Ocon, a popular, talented kid, out oh, of yeah. one of the top teams, and there's going to be a lot of bitter ill feeling towards Lance. Well, I don't think there'd be bitter ill feeling, but they were like from uh, fans. Lewis Hamilton said uh, the other day that Ocon should not be removed for money, and that's the kind of response you're going to get. Um, and you know that's something that that Lawrence Stroll, Father Stroll, has to think about. But I think he's just you know he's on his mission to do whatever he wants to do. And one of those things is to get his son into a more competitive car. But by getting his son into a more competitive car, his son is going to have to deliver. And thus far, Lance has not. I mean, he, he delivered a third place in a rather extraordinary vacuum, which should not be knocked because it's a good, you know, third place is third place in a Grand Prix. So the guy's clearly got some talent, but has he got talent to be a top end of the grid? That's another argument. Is he in the league of Ocon? I don't think he is, but there's only one way to find out. Yeah, Lance Stroll is clearly, he's a race driver. No one's knocking that. We're, we're talking about F1 here. We're talking about the pinnacle of open wheel racing. Top gun, creme de la creme, blah, exactly. blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, right, I got mocked a couple of shows ago for saying that Lawrence Stroll could probably buy Mercedes and that means that Lance Stroll is eventually going to be the F1 world champion with a number two wingman. Well, you, you should be knocked for that because it's a silly thing. Mercedes is worth rather a lot of money. Um, however, Lawrence Stroll is a wealthy man. But uh, like most wealthy men who embark on Formula One, he may find it rather more expensive than he thinks. But, you know, in, in a world of potential budget caps and so on, it might be a good move. So you know, he's been around Formula One for nearly 30 years now, Lawrence. So you know, maybe he's been waiting Waiting for Lance to develop, um, and hopefully, well, and, wait, and waiting for teams to be logical, and hopefully for the Stroll family that that won't take too much longer, and there's more potential left in young Lance. Hello, I'd like to interrupt this podcast to talk to you about our sponsor this week, which is the video game of F1 2018. You don't like the Halo? We can get rid of that for you. In the video game, you can remove the Halo and live life. As an F1 superstar, establish yourself as one of the most respected or the most notorious drivers on the circuit. Leverage your F1 expertise in contract negotiations with teams like McLaren and Mercedes. Engage the press in time-pressured interviews where every answer counts towards your reputation. Revamped visuals make this the most realistic-looking F1 game to date. Drive through dense fog, rain and blazing heat. 
In the UK, you can do that all in one morning. Feel the raw energy of an F1 car with F1 2018's improved physics and feel that suspension go to work. Use that F1 know-how that you learned on Missed Apex Podcast to decide how to utilize your car's power using in-depth ERS management. F1 2018 is available from August 24th. Go to FormulaOneGame.com or visit your local retailer to pick up a copy and make headlines today. FYI, I will be on Xbox One. My game tag is Spanners Ready on there. And Chris Rainbow Sparkles Stevens will be on PlayStation 4. Okay, back to the podcast. Now, we threatened to move on to Toro Rosso. I think that's a great place to move next because we're talking about silly season coming to an end. Effectively, both seats are free there. And this is fascinating because they have had a pretty good conveyor belt of drivers coming through and i can't remember the last time red bull had a driver not from toro rosso um it's, it's, it's they didn't uh, not, yeah. not well i think weber would be the last yeah, one didn't they me. inherit weber though they did inherit yeah. weber, so it's yes. a long time ago this the scheme has been largely successful it's been brutal it's been competitive but they've now come to a point where i don't think they've got anyone ready to jump in I don't think there's any appetite to keep Brendan Hartley and Gasly's off to Red Bull. So that's two seats at a, a not bad midfield team. Well, remember, remember that uh, Max Verstappen wasn't in the Red Bull program until he joined it. And that was because they offered him an instant ride in Formula One. So he was at a level by which they were willing to, to, to take him into their program, but he had to commit to the, to the program for years ahead. Now, Lando Norris would be a good choice for them, but he's a McLaren driver, and I can't see him committing to Red Bull for a period of years when he's got the chance to move into a McLaren maybe a year from now. I mean, some people want to put him in McLaren straight away, which I think is possibly not a good idea. Mm, got, uh, well, he seems to be every bit the good F2 driver, though. Is that not good enough? Yeah, yes, he does, but he's, he's still making mistakes in F2. He's not winning the championship as yet because George is beating him at the moment, I think. Yep. And um, the uh, it's always good to give them a little bit more time to be tempered and trained before putting him into, well, you can argue that McLaren's no longer a top driver given its performance last weekend. Sorry, a top team. But, um, you know, it is nonetheless a big team. So I think there's an argument within McLaren about do we want to keep um, – well, we need somebody because, you know, if, if Perez – sorry, if uh, if uh, science is, is, is the best thing we've got – Sorry, that, that chair noise is, is my fault because the video editor keeps telling Joe to sit up straight so that he can – we can see his beautiful visage in the video. Yes, yes, blah, blah. Um, anyway, <laughs> you know, there, there's an argument that McLaren – needs to have a stronger driver now that Alonso's gone. Uh, and that's a fair argument to some extent. But it might be too early for Lando, which is why Ocon was a good choice, because he's just about ready to step into the big league. So, um, you know, that's that's all mm. things that are happening. But that in relation to uh, Toro Rosso, you know, you could put Ocon into Toro Rosso, but again, they don't want him. You know, he's a Mercedes driver, so why would they take him? Because all they're going to do is train him up to be a weapon against them later on. Um, yeah. Why would you? You can have Stoffel Van Dorn, but Stoffel, you know, the, the support for Stoffel is probably at Sauber more than anywhere else. Um, because Fred Vass is a big Stoffel Van Dorn fan, and Stoffel's not happy where he is, it's obvious. Um, and, you know, he needs to be allowed to. to flourish a bit more and uh so we're looking at basically a toro rosso where you know why would you go for the old blokes who've already been tried and failed you wouldn't so what do you do and the answer is you go looking in the formula two to find out who's available because you don't have any young drivers of your own but yeah. actually look in formula two and you can find two of the top four drivers uh actually have no Formula One affiliation at all. Oh, brilliant. Let's let's definitely go through those. But firstly, because, uh, you know, I like going to the chat room. They're my friends and they they give they save me so often that I, I do like to go to them. And it's a good question here from Dean Dehin that says the rumours I've heard or read somewhere is that Norris has some clause in his contract with McLaren that says if McLaren haven't given him a seat by around September time, He's a free agent. Have you heard anything like that? And would them putting him in Toro Rosso count as giving him a seat? 
Well, why would why would they have agreed such a deal in the first place? Who is he's not the next Messiah. He's just another young driver. So you know the idea yes. of giving him a get out clause in September seems rather ridiculous to me. Okay, so um, let's go through these um, these F two drivers that you're talking about. One um, is an exciting prospect from a sort of international point of view is Albon, who drives um, under a Thai racing license, but is culturally British and mixed race. He's an Anglo-Thai, although he doesn't speak Thai at all, but he races under a Thai license. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he grew up in England, and he's very English, actually. I mean, he, he looks like a Thai, but he's a bit like Prince Birai, the old-school Thai, we used to call him. That was his nickname. And um, you know, that is – Alexander's very like that. Alexander's a very good, very good talent. And he was a Red Bull driver briefly in 2012. Um, ah. And then he then he got dropped from the program for reasons that uh, are not really worth going into. But it wasn't from his performance point of view. Um, it was just because things were happening around him that were not good. And so he then struggled his way up. And this year has been pretty damn good. And he's lying. You know, he's just behind uh, mm. uh, Russell and Norris, and ahead of Nick DeVries, who is the second one on the list of. Uh, drivers who are currently unattached and nick was a uh, a mclaren young driver for many many years he was deemed as the next messiah by ron dennis and it, it took him a very long time to go through the junior formally and eventually they dropped him which was about the sort of start of last year they sort of said well thanks like we don't need you and he suddenly started getting good then so um are these two guys with super licenses that or the they both, they both well as of right now both have a super license. Albon will definitely get one because, I mean, unless he falls below fifth, I think it is, in the championship, and he's currently third, he's fine. De Vries is a bit more marginal because he needs to be above fifth to get a license. But the third one is Artem Markolov, who finished second last year. He's already got a super license because second in Formula 2 gets you a super license. Uh, George Russell and Lando Norris have both got super licenses already given the positions they are right now. Now, it, that's assuming that everyone finishes. There's only two races left, I think. Uh, so well, actually, there's probably more than that. Um, I'm thinking of IndyCast. My brain's gone. Um, so there's four or five races left. and and But the chances are, given the way they're scoring, that the actual order might change between themselves. But it doesn't look like anybody else is going to sort of come into that um, that sort of same level. We've got Luca Giotto and people like that who might come up or go down okay, but yeah. but you know those those top five seem pretty well established so do you think that i mean in theory then those two we talked about albon and um i'm not going to say this wrong d what's it gone don't save me joe save me to freeze to freeze i was going to say that uh could to could- is what was one of the most sensational karting races there's ever been um but as he he just had this really bad period as he was uh, going through sort of Formula Renault where he got stuck. Um, and he's taken a long time to come back up to speed, but he's, you know, he's up there now and he, he's, yeah. he's quick. Well, Toro Rosso could put two young drivers in there. Um, what could go that's wrong? What they're, that's what they're there for. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the last time uh, Toro Rosso put two brand new drivers in, it didn't go so well. Uh, I can't remember which occasion that was, but they've done it on several occasions and they haven't all failed, have they? No. So, no, it's, you know, the, the fact is that, that uh, they don't have another young driver coming for at least a year, year and a half, Red Bull. There's, there's uh, Fukuzumi, who is the Honda driver. So obviously Fukuzumi, Honda and Red Bull, is a, is a good prospect. The trouble is he's just not delivering the goods. Uh, he's in Formula 2 this year and hasn't got even close to getting super licensed numbers. Then you have... Um, Dan Tictum, who's ah. in European Formula 3, who's leading the championship, but that doesn't get you a super license. Now then. But he's now still, then, now then. Now then. He's, he still accumulates points. And this one is interesting because a few people have said, this is unfair. Um, he, he was basically banned. Was he banned for two years for that ridiculous incident under the safety car where he sort of hit, did a revenge hit? And he was prevented then, I guess, from accumulating super license points in in that period, which seems appropriate, to be honest. Well, he, you make your bed and you lie in it, don't you? So he has not, whatever the details behind it, he has not got enough points. Even if he wins the championship this year, he can't do it. That's not, it's not that it's unfair. The other question is, is he ready for it? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that, that's for Red Bull to judge, isn't it? 
But I don't think they're going to, well, they're not going to take him because they can't. But would they take him anyway is another question. Now, maybe he needs yeah. more time to temper himself in Formula 2. <laughs> so, you know, you have you have all these questions. And, and at the end of the day, what you really want is somebody who is going to be coming into Formula 1, be good, solid, and somebody who can be there if, for example, Max decides to take yeah. off to Ferrari. Uh, as Daniel has done, to step in to Red Bull Racing. Now, Gasly's stepping in this year. It's still quite early from him in a, in a, in a career sense. But he's shown a pretty good uh, level of performance up to now. So, you know, um, up he goes and we'll see how he does. Chat room saying, how does Joe keep all this information in his head? And I have to admit, I've been mentally like putting fingers in places and you know how you used to do maths where you like put your pen under one thing where you're trying to do the other equa- equation. Uh, chat room suggesting this will take more than one listen. And I agree. They're throwing a lot of other names out there for Toro Rosso. Uh, and should we listen to Joe's speculation for driver moves? Why should we sit here and listen to Joe Sayward who goes on Sky Sports months ago and says stupid things like Carlos Sainz is going to go to McLaren. Dude, you called it on TV and everything. On July the 4th, I think it was, too. Right. Um, you got quite a lot of slack for that, so I'm really happy that's come off. Well, it's just, you know, I think at the time they were just all so shocked that I'd come up with this thing that nobody had thought of. But uh, it didn't come up. It wasn't an accident that I came up with it. I wasn't sort of plucking names out of the sky. I'd had a decent tip that was going to happen. So, you know, to be fair, I, I, um, I wasn't entirely convinced um, although I didn't know very much about the Yocon uh, conversations that were going on. Well, I thought was he so, was going to go to Renault. There were so many I'll of tell them. You, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you a story. I mean, <laughs> in Spa, one of the first things I did was go and see um, Cyril Abitbull at Renault. I said, well, you got us on that one. And then I sort of paused for a second. And I said, and how surprised were you? And he went, <laughs> yeah. Um and the fact is they'd made an offer to Daniel, but I don't think they thought he was going to get taken up. And so they were heavily into signing Ocon, which is why Ocon hadn't signed for McLaren. And, you know, basically the dominoes were all set up and they just thought suddenly all fell in a different way. And it caught everybody out. And even, even Renault, I think, caught out. Because when they were, they wanted to have Ocon because he's a Frenchman, talented, yeah. blah, 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 two years. And they'd done the deal. And he'd gone right up to... To, to board level at Mercedes and, and Renault, this whole conversation about can we can we lend you Ocon for a couple of years? Everything was done, and then suddenly it all sort of went went all um, pear shaped. I believe the term is. Yeah, fascinating. Well, I mean, there's been so much speculation about Ocon that I don't think anybody has sort of come up and said this is definitely what's happening with Ocon. It's been one of the most complicated driver placements uh, of a silly season that I can remember. A lot of people in this shuffle will be looking at Williams and the fact that they will have some money from Lance Stroll if he moves in Monza or sometime this season. Williams have a reserve driver. And if they don't put that reserve driver in to complete the season, does it not make a mockery of what Robert Kubica has been doing all season? Well, what has Robert Kubica been doing all He's season? He's been being the reserve driver of Williams' racing team. Okay, is he the best possible choice? If you're putting Robert Kubica up against Esteban Ocon, who's a better choice? Well, I would argue Ocon because... Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So if you have a yeah. contract, it's all very well saying there's a contract. But in Formula 1, you can't always abide by the contracts because you have a better choice. So if Ocon comes up, and Kubica comes up against Ocon. And okay, maybe Kubica has got some money, but having Ocon will bring money from prize money that Kubica might not get because Kubica, for all his mm-hmm. for all his um, ability, is not is a shadow of the guy he was before. Otherwise, he'd have been back in Formula One years ago. But is there a third choice? If you speak to Robert, he I'm sure he will tell you that he is faster than Stroll and Sorokin. So would Ocon Kubica not be a, an option? Uh, well, we don't know if he's faster than Stroll or Sorokin. He says he, he says he is. Yes, well, I know, but everybody, you know, Maria Teresa de Filippi said she was fast as Fangio, but she wasn't, was she? You know, it, it's just, um, it, that's racing drivers have an ability to, to think that they're, they're greater than they are sometimes. Um, but, you know, the fact is it's up for the team to decide. And if they haven't got the money, they have to decide on, making the team happen, saving the jobs. Now, if if Mercedes um, and Williams – Mercedes want Williams to be more like a Haas 
to Ferrari yeah. situation. That's what they want, which, is it? Well, that seems to be the way it's going because Williams can't really afford to do everything themselves because they've done it and they got it all horribly wrong this year. It's been a disaster, the car, complete disaster. So if you can save money as much as possible because they're going to get no prize money or no major prize money uh, like they've had this year, they're losing Martini, they're losing Rexona, no, they're losing a lot of stuff. And you know the reason that they have Sirotkin in there is financial. The reason they have Kubica in there is primarily financial as well. So, um, and the reason they've got Stroll is obviously financial. So, when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You know, the fact is that point number one is to save the team and keep it in business. Point number two is to get as good a driver as you can get. Now, if Mercedes say, okay, well, we'll, we'll support Williams a lot and we'll mm-hmm. give Ocon and let's say George Russell, um, who is, you know, he is the next Williams driver. He's got Williams stamped on his forehead, you know. He, he, he comes from the right part of England and talks proper, you know. Nor- Norwich? That's not the well, right he, part of anywhere. Yes, but, he, you know, he, he's, he's, he's a good kind of character to have because it's sort of, you know, vaguely stiff upper lip English type, you know. Um, and Williams is very much into that sort of thing, so... In the, in the finest traditions of D Hill, you know. I might have to take that back as I regularly call into BBC Radio Norfolk to, to talk about George Russell's uh, exploits and chances of getting into Formula One. I, I love our Norwich listeners. Hello to everyone in Norwich. Um, <laughs> so we've talked about who might be driving. And in fact, I think I'm going to have to listen back to this in the edit. I might try and compose a tweet that is the 2019 or the late 2018 grid, according to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward, because we've had a lot of um, a lot of information coming in there, and I, I I love how up in the air it is, and I love the fact we're talking about so many young drivers who could be coming through, because we've had a lot of bottle stops in F1 of late, uh, so we know, yeah, and we and yeah. we still have them. Yeah. You know, the the fact of the matter is that. Um, when you have new guys coming in, you have to have old guys going out. Now, we're losing Alonso. It seems like we're going to keep Raikkonen, uh, by yeah. all accounts, uh, which is... Hooray. Uh, sorry. No, no, look, Raikkonen, he's <laughs> try, like... He's try, the only... try again. Try again with passion. With, he's Hooray. the only F1 driver older than me now, and it, that just doesn't feel right. I can't imagine, like, at my age... the most of it, because he's not going to last much longer. So. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I think it would be, yeah, put it this way, if you have Kimi Raikkonen there, you're not upsetting Sebastian and, uh, you know, Leclerc can wait another year. To be fair, Kimi uh, had a blinder in Spa all the way up to turn one, but all through the weekend, he looked brilliant. It, that's often the case with yeah. Kimi, though, isn't it? He always seems to get it wrong in qualifying or in the race, but, you know. Well, I don't think it was it, his fault this time before the Kimi Raikkonen fans get upset with me. They, it you, doesn't matter. Look at the, the only thing that matters is the points. You know as well as I do, that's what it boils down to. And Kimi's scoring of points has been less impressive than Sebastian Vettel, just as everybody else, you know, 
Let the record show I made a token effort to defend Kimi Raikkonen. All right. So we talked about who's driving. I'm, I'm not attacking Kimi Raikkonen. I'm merely saying that this is a reality, whether you like it or not. No, that's the, that's the tagline of this episode. Joe Saywood attacks Kimi Raikkonen. Okay, well, uh, yeah, what, <laughs> what can you do? It's clickbait, Joe. It's marketing. I'm all over it. Uh, we talked about who's going to be driving in what. Let's talk about where we're going to be driving. Um, I, I know you've been writing about a, a German Grand Prix. It's weird what's happened to the German fan base. I feel like Formula One needs a German Grand Prix. I mean, you've got to, you've got to get some realism in here. You know, until the 1990s, the German racing drivers, um, you know, there, there'd been a few Formula One drivers now and then, but none of them like the British. I mean, to say that they have the same racing culture since Schumacher, a lot has developed, but, um, you know, it's it's still a uh, their their Formula One um, fan base is still very much working class um, and not middle class German. Because Sebastian Vettel hasn't really excited the German fans up to now. Now, what happened this year? Maybe it's because he's in a Ferrari. Maybe because uh, the ticket prices were cheaper. Who knows? But something filled that stadium up, and everyone went, ah, oh, maybe we should have a German Grand Prix after all. And Mercedes have been trying to support the German Grand Prix for a long time. Bernie Eccleston wouldn't let them. Um, he always wanted them to, to pay pay the uh, the signage around the circuit as opposed to just putting money into the to the promotion. Um, and of course, the circuit signage money goes to him, not the promoter. So that was you know, the race. The race didn't really happen as a result of that. But if they can make it happen, that's good. We need to have a German Grand Prix. But, you know, there's again, there's a limit to the number of races you can have. What that limit is, we're still discussing. Uh, Ronald D. Regiment, or Regged in the chat room, is basically bringing up the prospect of Mick Schumacher. Th- does that help? Does that help bring up the German fan base? <laughs> well, uh, there's, a, there's David Schumacher as well. You probably haven't heard of him yet. Nope. But uh, David Schumacher is Ralph's son, who seems to be a bit better than Mick is. Um, so, but, you know, at the end of the day, they will get weeded out. Um, you know, it's all very well having a name and money, but that won't make it top end of Formula One. Good. Right then. Joe, can I, can I briefly ask about Haas before we go? Have we got time? Can we squeeze it in? Because. What do you, what do you want to ask about? Haas? I want to ask about Haas is because they keep surprising us uh, periodically and it looks like Roman Grosjean is on his way out. It looks like he's done enough to, seal his exit out of formula one then he pops up on a race weekend like this performs very well kevin magnuson on the other hand he's having a resurgence yet seems very unpopular and unlikable uh, so i mean a what's going on with them as a team and what are they going to be doing with their drivers well i don't think fundamentally i would say that kevin is pretty consistent and pretty quick roman is often stroke occasionally quicker the only thing is that Roma is far more up and down and consistent and he generally still has crashes um so i think the speculation about roman going is basically because they've uh, you know there's an awful lot of carbon fiber splinters that need to be picked up after <laughs> after roman's had a weekend a bad one um and you know if you're faced with a choice between roman grosjean and charles leclerc for example who are you going to take well, yes, you've, you've given me a very easy choice there, Joe. Well, that's the choice I think that maybe <laughs> Haas will be making. And if you have that choice to make, you'd have to say that, that you'd be nuts not to go for Charles Leclerc. Fantastic. Joe, tell me about GP Magazine and tell me about the things people can do to purchase oh, and get... GP, GP Plus Magazine. You Is want me to get the mean? name right as well, do you? As well yeah, as push actually, for a yeah. plug. Um, actually, before we talk about that, I think we should talk about your blog as well because it is... It is one of the most readable blogs on the internet. In the age of quickfire news and people delivering content to contract, you have articles that are a an actual good read, where you can sit down and you can have the scene set for you, a bit of context. When I sit down and read a Joe blog, it's the sort of thing where I go, ah, I'll, I might even save that for when I've got five minutes to sit down and read it properly. And it's it's a very popular blog as well. I like to think so. Uh, I just believe I believe that people are capable of remembering more than fifty words, um, and I think that you know maybe sometimes if you go to two and a half thousand, it gets like hard work to read it, even for the younger generation, poor dears that they are. But um, you know, I think that 
if you want to understand the sport, you have to get the context, you have to understand what it's all about, and you can't do that in Twitter. Um, and so I think there's a place for it, and so long as it's good content, you know, good quality content, you know, if if people are jabbering on for 2,500 words with jibber-jabber, you know, why would you bother reading it? But, um, you know, I like to think that it's good content. I don't know. It's up to you guys to judge. It definitely is. Um, very insightful. You definitely have a different angle to what a lot of people uh, publish because you are publishing things you think. I think a lot of the times people publish what they think will get clicks, will get read. I've certainly been in that position when we've tried to make our our blog site work. You end up favoring the things that you know will get traffic because it's worthwhile. And like somebody for us did this great breakdown of the potential Formula Two drivers that were going to come in and it got like a hundred views. Uh, whereas we had another thing of why Alonso's a git and we had things of why is Lewis Hamilton anything and you suddenly get three or four thousand views and you go, well, it's really tempting just to focus on, on that content. Um, right. So let me get your opinion before we leave on the key topic, really. The, the biggest topic of the 2018 season is who's going to win it. So who's going to win the championships? I mean, Ferrari really have dropped the ball before the summer in many, many ways. Now they look, they look frightening on the surface of it. There are some little factors that might mean that that gap isn't as big as it appeared in Spa. But how, how do you see it going at the moment? How's the balance of power? Well, I'll go back 12 months. And Ferrari looked pretty damn strong going into Singapore, didn't they? Then they collided at the first corner, and then at the next race, Vettel blew up, and that was the end of that. So, you know, Sebastian is uh, still behind Lewis by quite a big chunk, and Lewis can afford to finish second to him a lot. Uh, Kimi Raikkonen's not really delivering second places in the way he should be, um, if he's got the same car as Vettel, which appears to be the case. So, you know, his, his wingman, if you like, is not doing the wingman job. So we'll see. We don't know. Uh, right now, I think you're right. Ferrari's got the power and they should win. But Lewis has snuck a few victories he shouldn't have had. And his pole position at Spa was genius. Yeah. Absolute genius. Um, but, you know, where's it going to go? He couldn't hold him back in Spa. He couldn't. Once no. once the Vettel was ahead, there was no way he could get him. I think Monza will be the same, um, judging by what we've seen in, in the four days necessary you know, and Lewis keeps banging on about we need some more from the team, and that's true. They need some more grunt. Now, they have to figure out how Ferrari have got it, the grunt they have. Um, and if they can do that, well, the, the, the fight is still on. Next we'll question, see. Joe. How have Ferrari got the grunt they have? Do they have a third battery installed? I have no idea. All I know is that it's, as of now, um, they have some trick solution that uh, doesn't mean that they're cheating. Even if you're on Fleet Street, you have to be pretty basic to keep banging on about the fact that trick in that sense means cheating. It's not what Lewis said. He said they have some trick solutions that we don't have. And what he meant is they're cleverer than we are. And, you know, it's just daft to try and make it. Into, it's actually embarrassing. As a member of the media, that's embarrassing for us because it just looks like we're all a bunch of, of piranha fish desperate for a can of tuna. So you don't know why Ferrari are faster. Well, if I did, I'd be worth a lot of money to Bricksworth, wouldn't I? But you called signs. Come on. Surely you know this. Um, I, I think what, <laughs> what Ferrari need is, do you remember in the, the, uh, is it the Chinese Olympics where they, they put stuff in the clouds? They drop stuff into the clouds to make sure it didn't rain during the Olympic Games. I think that's what Ferrari needs because the second there's any moisture, Sebastian Vettel melts away and and Lewis comes to the forefront. So it could really come down to what weather conditions we get. It's going to be really track dependent. I mean, Singapore, might some of that advantage slip away? Who knows? Probably Mercedes will buy some of those mercury firing guns and we'll be making rain. Who knows? I mean, Formula One is so insane that that could probably happen. But, you know, um, I don't know. We'll see. Sometimes you just have to say we'll see. You know, it's the way of the world. There are no answers because we're so we're so on all the moves that are going on in the news that we don't know the answers. And sometimes the press get two answers before the teams do. I mean, I don't I'm not joking. You go through the thought processes, you come up with a solution and eventually the teams get around and doing it. Some Most of the time they don't. But just occasionally you go, people say, well, how did you get that? And it's like sort of, well, I just applied logic. And usually applying logic in form means it won't work. 
like yeah. like Mr. Apex calling the Red Bull Honda deal. Very good. Yes. <laughs> well done. You guys make sure you catch up with everything Joe does simply by searching Joe Saywood F1. It'll give you everything. It'll give you the books Joe has written. It'll give you Grand Prix Plus magazine that it's still worth subscribing to, even for the rest of the season. It's still a steal to get the GP Plus it is. magazine. Absolutely, it is. And if you want to see everything else, flat out publishing is where everything is neatly laid out. Um, I keep meaning to add more bits to it, but time is of the essence. So, and I have to disappear to Monza very shortly as well. So. Oh, of course. Um, and also, you can still listen to an audio version of Inside F1 with Joe Saywood uh, live, Joe live at the Strand by going to MissedApexPodcast.com. And I'm looking on the website now because I can't actually remember where we put it. Uh, but it is somewhere there on MissedApexPodcast.com. Uh, and you can listen to a two-hour recording of Joe answering questions. Nearly all of it because I did have to take out the genuinely litigious parts but for just under five quid it's very good value dare you litigious moi sorry the (laughs) allegedly litigious bits that i had to painstakingly draw out of that uh you can also follow the show at missed apex f1 and at spanners ready to follow me personally until the monza race review on missed apex podcast remember that wounds heal chick stick scars and glory last forever this was inside f1 You know what? There's no allegedly about it, Joe. Though the point is, though, if you're there in person, you get the full Joe Saywood, and that's worth course, every penny. Yeah. And and I think you price it like you would price going to a London show. And as an F1 fan, it's absolutely worth that. What we did for the recording, I think it was three hours you were talking for, and mm. we we sort of cut out a good two hours and fifteen minutes of it. Uh, and for the price of a rental movie, it's it's good value. So that's. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 